Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice. It contains God's plan for the family. It also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad that you've come back today to study the Bible with us. That's what we're going to do. If you're a first-time viewer, let me explain. We encourage Bible study. We want all of us to know our Bible better. And one way we've found that's pretty helpful to do that is just answer your questions about the Bible. So we'll give you a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen all the time. You can uh, use those any time to get in touch with us. If there's something you've always wondered about the Bible, uh, is something in the Bible, or what's this mean, uh, just give us a call or log on and let us know what your question is, and we'll uh, put it in the stack and get to it just as quickly as we can. So we'll try to answer as many questions as we can today. And when I say we, I mean I'm Steve Tandy, and we've got two gentlemen down here to help me. Jeff Martin's down on the end. Hi, Good Jeff. Good morning. Toby Levering in the middle. Hi, Good Steve. morning, Toby. I'm glad you're here, and we're all studied up a little bit and ready to try to answer some questions, but our viewers get the first one every week, so here's yours for the day. Uh, what New Testament book is part two of the Gospel of Luke? Luke wrote two books, uh, part one and part two, and we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you know some uh, Bible history there. Looks like Toby gets to start us out today, so uh, yes, sir. what's viewer, your question? Viewer wants to know, uh, why did the people in Genesis live so much longer than we do? <clears throat> and the viewer is right, uh, apparently has read some of Genesis. And one of the first things you notice is that the characters uh, there in uh, the narrative lived several hundreds of years, uh, and in fact, one of the longest recorded lives is Methuselah, who lived 996 years, uh, almost a millennia. And you, it's very natural to say, wow, why is it that they live so long? What is the difference? And uh, the scripture really doesn't tell us the answer to that. Uh, it does give us, or we can probably infer some ideas. Of course, uh, God created that world, and so it was a perfect world. There was no uh, the, the environment was perfect, the temperature was perfect, everything about it was uh, exactly as a perfect creator would make it. Uh, human beings were different. They were very, uh, there was no disease, there was no sickness, there was no uh, things that we are used to in our world today. So I think that uh, those factors probably played a part in it, but the scripture really never says exactly why. We do see that after the flood, uh, we see a noticeable drop-off uh, from hundreds of years to uh, a more what we would be used to today. So um, there's lots of possibilities, but the scripture really doesn't say. Uh, there is a clue in the very first verse. We can look at it. If you're a reader of scripture, you know it well. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And so because God was involved, uh, that probably has much to do uh, with the perfect world of that time. I hope that helps you. Okay, thank you, Toby. And I'm going to uh, get in advance of some of the calls here in just a moment. Uh, some of our trivia fans are going to question your Methuselah age. Uh 
Did you, I say it wrong? You I'm sorry. said 996. I'm sorry, 969. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, knew, I knew Toby knew the answer, but. <laughs> I mistyped it here on my hand. Yep. A little, yep. little numeric <laughs> dyslexia there. <laughs> Anyhow, I knew some of you would call in and try to good straighten catch. us out. So. <laughs> and that's good, actually. That's <laughs> <laughs> They'll help us every I'll, once in a while. Always check your Bibles. All right, here's a question. What was the purpose of the man who ran away when Jesus was arrested in Mark 14:51? That's kind of an obscure little story, but it is kind of strange. So let's just uh, read the verse and then we'll talk about it. Mark chapter uh, 14, verses 51 and 52. And this is during the arrest of Jesus in the garden. It says, a young man followed him uh, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Uh, all right, kind of an interesting little story. And uh, our, our viewer wants to know what the purpose of it is. Uh, I don't think there's any purpose to it. Uh, it's just good reporting. Uh, Mark was telling what happened in the garden and about the rest and all that. And he mentions this little sidelight, which doesn't really have anything to uh, much to do with anything. Now. Of course, it's interesting enough that uh, people want to suppose, come up with suppositions about what this really was all about, uh, and we can do that, but we've got to leave the Bible to do that. So uh, we're stop know, knowing your Bible right now and suppose. Uh, some people have supposed that since Mark was writing this account, uh, that the young man was Mark himself. Now, to suppose that, uh, they also come up with a lot of other suppositions. Maybe uh, the authorities were looking for Jesus and first went to Mark's house, his mother's house, uh, because they think maybe that's where Jesus had had the Passover. Uh, and Mark heard the commotion, knew what was going on, and jumped out of bed, uh, wrapped himself in the sheet, or maybe had a night, a night uh, shirt on, and took off for the garden to warn Jesus. And then the rest of it happened. Now, that's all supposition. None of it's in the Bible. Uh, we don't even know if that young man was Mark or not, but interesting little story. I don't think there's any deep purpose or deep meaning to it. All right, Jeffrey. Okay. Uh, viewer wants to know, what requirements are there for baptism? We get a lot of baptism questions on Know Your Bible. Uh, it's impossible to read the New Testament, especially books like Acts and Romans, and not see that, that baptism is an important concept in the Bible, especially as it relates to salvation. Uh, if you go through the book of Acts and, and you look at every single account of salvation, you will find that baptism is a part of those stories. Uh, so how do you know your baptism was biblical? What are the requirements to be Baptized. These are questions that we ask when we read these accounts. And the best way to understand this, the best way to answer this question is to go to the early church. Uh, in this case, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. And, and Peter here is preaching the very first gospel lesson to the people who will become, very shortly after, the first Christian converts. And so he's telling them what they must do to be saved. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, 37 and 38. <clears throat> now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this verse alone uh, gives several answers to the viewers' questions. Uh, first of all, we know that the message that they had just heard was the gospel message. Since they were cut to the heart, we know that they believed this gospel message uh, and had witnessed much of it. Uh, they believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, past that, Peter told them that they needed to repent, which means to turn away from their sin. So if you are at home and you're wondering what the requirements are to be baptized, if you are a believer and you are ready to turn away from your sin, then there's no reason that you shouldn't be baptized. Now, there's a lot that happens after that, uh, being discipled and understanding the Word of God more. Uh, but if you are a believer and ready to repent, then again, there's no reason you shouldn't be baptized. And it tells us then we'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit. Uh, but again, those are the only two requirements, uh, belief and repentance. All righty. Thank you, Jeff. Let's take just a moment and then... Uh ask our viewers if they'd like to study the Bible. Uh, well, you're watching the program, so we know you kind of are interested in the Bible, but uh, we answer just a few questions each week, and hopefully you learn a little bit, but uh, the only way to really learn the Bible is to get into it yourself, and we advocate home Bible study. Uh, we know a lot of people find that hard to get started, so we've got some tools that we think are really helpful. Uh, here's a set of lessons that are a good introduction to the Bible. They start with the Old Testament and the New Testament, so you know the two big parts of your Bible, and go on from there. Uh, when you finish that course, we've got some other courses that are uh, a little more advanced, that'll uh, longer and more detailed, and keep you studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Uh, we pay the postage, absolutely no cost to you in any way. So. Uh, those are good ways to study the Bible. We've also got some online courses. Some folks like to do things uh, online, and here's the way to do it. Just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. They'll ask you a few questions, and you'll get signed up and begin uh, studying the Bible on your digital device. So pretty easy way to study the Bible. And all these are great ways. Use the phone number and the website if you got questions about that. Uh, we'll get you started studying the Bible. All right, Toby, what's your viewer after here? A viewer would like to know the difference between the apostles and disciples. What was the difference between apostles and disciples? Who decided who would be an apostle? All right, this is an astute question. A uh, reader of the New Testament especially will notice the difference uh, between those two terms. So a disciple, very simply, is a student or a follower. So we would say anyone who is obeying uh, or living by the teachings of Jesus would be called a disciple. So were the disciple, there were disciples in the first century, there's disciples today. Uh, Jeff, was, Jeff was talking about who can be baptized. Uh, that's a person who's wanting to become a disciple, who believes that Jesus is Lord, turning away from sin and wanting to commit their whole life to walking as a disciple. Uh, and Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, I don't think this verse is on the screen, but he told the apostles, he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey, every, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, for surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so he's telling, telling the apostles to go make disciples, to go make followers, people who are wanting to live according to Jesus' commands, to obey everything. Now, the word apostle is a Greek word, and it's very easy to remember the definition. Just remember a penny. 
A single penny is one cent. And that's the, the, the meaning of an apostle is one cent. And these were men uniquely called by Jesus, and they were sent out just as they were just in the scripture we just read. They were sent out to preach about Jesus, to preach about the king, and to preach about the church, the kingdom, the king and his kingdom. Uh, they were sent out all over uh, geographically, and of course in the book of Acts we see that mission spreading from Jerusalem to the very ends of the earth. An apostle is someone who's given authority uh, they, uh, of the, of the, by the one who sent them. Uh, so another way to think of it is all apostles were disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. Uh, the original 12 is found in Matthew chapter 10. These are the ones that Jesus sent first in Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 4. He called them, he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out, to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Okay, so these were men who were disciples, but they were given unique authority by Jesus. Uh, there were some other apostles that kind of special circumstances. We have uh, uh, Matthias uh, chosen to replace Judas in Acts chapter 1 verse 26. We have Saul, who is uniquely called by Jesus uh, as an apostle, as a missionary to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 9. Uh, Barnabas in Acts chapter 14. So these were ones who were specifically called later, but those are the original 12 that we just read. So there are no apostles in the world today as there were in Scripture. Uh, the word apostle is still used by some groups today, but it is uh, these people do not meet the same qualifications that the original apostles did. So no, there are <coughs> disciples today, but no apostles today. So I hope that uh, helps clarify the difference between a disciple and an apostle. All right, a little marriage counseling question here. If you want to know, is it wrong to marry someone of a different race? Uh, and if you look in the Bible, uh, the first thing you'll figure out, if you read all the way through it, you won't find anything about race. Uh, we've concocted that. The God doesn't talk about race. Uh, and that surprises some people, but the Bible talks about the human race, and that's what he talks about. Now, there are some distinctions between who can marry who and all that, especially in the Old Testament, uh, but it doesn't have anything to do with race. It has to do with religion, actually. Uh, let's just read the command in Deuteronomy that uh, God told the uh, Jews about warning, the, about, warning them about the pagans. He said, you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. All right, there's the warning and the reason for it. Uh, the Bible talks about pagans, people who don't believe in Jehovah, the one true God. And uh, God said, don't mix with them. Don't, don't marry them. So. That's about religion more than race, uh, nothing about race. Now, that's the Old Testament. Uh, New Testament doesn't specifically mention marriage, but it talks about being united, uh, which would certainly uh, include marriage. Let's read a few verses from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 
Paul told the church in Corinth, do not be yoked together or united with unbelievers. Now, that would include marriage. It would include close business relationships. It would include all kinds of uh, yoking together where somebody partners up with somebody. And here's the reason. Uh, Paul says, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial or Satan? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Uh, so that's the advice in the New Testament is uh, Christians, God followers, Christ followers, uh, shouldn't make close relationships with somebody who doesn't believe in God, uh, who doesn't follow Christ. Uh, and Paul's reasoning is, what do you have in common? How's that going to work? Well, it's not going to work well. Uh, which is basically the same advice that there was in the Old Testament. So if you're looking for the Bible to talk about someone you shouldn't marry, uh, don't be looking at the color of the skin or the ethnicity. Uh, look at the belief system and the uh, uh, whether they're a God follower or not. So that's what the Bible says about marriage, or part of it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Jeff's next. Yep. Got one about for, dreams. A viewer wants to know, does God still communicate to us through dreams? And they rightfully said still because we know from the Bible that God used dreams several times to speak to humans. Uh, Joseph, the, the son of Jacob uh, in the Old Testament. Joseph, uh, the husband of Mary in the New Testament. Solomon, King uh, Nebuchadnezzar. So we know that God uses dreams to communicate. Now, Fast forward today, if, to today, if someone told me that they had a dream that was sent by God, uh, I wouldn't tell them that they were lying. However, I would be a little bit skeptical, especially if that dream did not align with the Word of God. Uh, and the Word of God is, is kind of the point here. Uh, we live in a time where God's Word has given us everything that we need to know, everything that we need to know on this earth to live and to move forward. Um, when we try to go beyond that word, when we try to add to that word, even through something like a dream, it doesn't make any sense. Let's look at Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 that kind of encapsulates this concept. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So again, the knowledge that we need to live our lives, the knowledge that we need to understand things should all come from Jesus, come from the Word of God. And that's the first place that we should look for clarity, uh, not the dreams of someone who calls himself a prophet or, or really the dreams of anyone. Uh, so I'm not saying that God doesn't use dreams today. Uh, what I am saying is that the Word of God is sufficient. It's sufficient for what we need on this earth. And then again, if someone has a dream or a revelation that just so happens to change the Word of God or add to the Word of God, uh, it's safe to say that that is false and not from God. All right, good explanation there, and I appreciate your caution about that. Could God use dreams to remind us of something or uh, call something back to our mind we'd forgot or give us a little clarity on something maybe? Quite possibly. Sure. but. What you were talking about in the Old Testament, 
he told them new things that <laughs> they've never heard before and things they needed to do precisely and uh, new revelation was what he was giving them. So uh, I always say God invented the mind. He can do whatever he wants to <laughs> with it. Right. So <laughs> he can cause it to think of things in a dream if he wants. Uh, I never remember my dream, so he, yeah, he, he better find another <laughs> way to communicate with me. not talking to you. With, yeah. <laughs> All right, let me take this moment to invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. This program was put on the air and sponsored by Churches of Christ. We like to thank some of them each week. Uh, we broadcast out of Rock Island, Illinois, and up in that area there are a number of congregations that uh, help us stay on the air and work with us up there, Sterling, Illinois. Moline in the Quad Cities, Muscatine in the Quad Cities, uh, all of those are great groups of folks that uh, think and study about the Bible a lot like we do. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, drop in one of those places if it's close to you. Uh, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. If you know somebody that attends one of those churches or any Church of Christ, uh, tell them that you watch the program and appreciate them keeping it on the air for you. Uh, whatever area you're in, whatever market you're watching in, uh, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you, and we invite you to visit us sometime. All right, Toby. Yes, question about Thomas. A viewer would like to know about uh, what did Thomas do in his life after he saw the nail prints in Jesus' hands? Uh, that's a really good question. I'd like to know the answer to that. Uh, the Bible doesn't really tell us much about Thomas after this interaction with Jesus, probably the most uh, well-known, uh, where uh, uh, Thomas says he basically is not going to believe that Jesus has been resurrected until he can see it for himself. Of course, Jesus shows him uh, the holes in his hands and uh, the wound in his side and asks him to put the, his hand in the side. And so it, it's a very unique interaction. And of course, Thomas from that interaction gets the the uh, nickname of Doubting Thomas, which I always felt was a little unfair to Thomas, but um, anyway, that's how most people know of, of Thomas is Doubting Thomas uh, from that interaction, which is found, by the way, if you're curious about it, in, in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Uh, interestingly about Thomas, uh, of all the apostles, he's probably uh, the twin, or may have had a twin, uh, because uh, Didymus means, uh, his name was Thomas Didymus, which means Thomas the twin. So it's kind of interesting to think that Thomas may have had a twin brother. The scripture doesn't elaborate much more on that than he was a twin. Uh, after the Gospels, he is rarely mentioned. Uh, there, the last time he's mentioned is found in Acts chapter 1. Uh, this is in the upper room. Uh, let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 13. And when they had entered, they, they went up to the upper room. This is before the day of Pentecost. And where they were staying, I'm sorry, on the day of Pentecost, when they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James. So there's Thomas. That's the last time we'll see or hear mention of him in the New Testament. So we really don't know what happened to Thomas. We presume, obviously, since he's there uh, uh, on the day of Pentecost and, and uh, was a part of that whole uh, interaction, which is uh, wonderful that he was a believer, that uh, he had full faith in Christ. Tradition maintains that Thomas took the gospel to the subcontinent of India. 
Now, that's never something we specifically can point in Scripture where it says that. That's just uh, some historical tradition. You know, do with that what you will. That's unconfirmed, but that's the tradition of what happened to Thomas. As far as biblically, uh, we don't hear from Thomas after uh, Acts chapter 1. So, uh, it's uh, a, bit of a, a bit of a biblical mystery. But. <laughs> All righty. Uh, I think we got time for this one. Number 40, if you wants to know... Uh, I see the number 40 a lot in my reading. Uh, what is its significance? Uh, well, first of all, I agree with the viewer. The 40 seems to pop up a lot in the Bible. Uh, there are a lot of 40 things that happen. Uh, rained 40 days and 40 nights on Noah. Uh, Moses spent 40 days up on Mount Sinai. Uh, he spent 40 years in the wilderness being a shepherd. Uh, the spies went into Canaan, spent uh, 40 days spying out the land. Uh, let me think of another one here. Uh, well, Jesus was uh, tempted for 40 days. So there are a lot of 40s in the Bible, and there are a lot more than that. Uh, some people think God uses 40 as kind of a symbol of trial and punishment. Uh, that's what a lot of the stories seem to have to do with. Uh, so some people have guessed that, uh, but the Bible doesn't say there's anything particularly important about 40. God does seem to use it a lot, but uh, there are other numbers that occur kind of frequently and seem to have some special meaning. Uh, some people, and let me caution you here, some people spend a lot of time uh, worrying about that. Uh, biblical numerology. They're trying to figure out what all the symbols and what numbers mean and uh, attach special significance to them. Uh, while God may use numbers like 40 for some reason, uh, there's a lot of mathematical stuff in creation that is fascinating uh, how numbers repeat and do things. Uh, so maybe God uses 40 for some special reason, but he doesn't tell us what that is or what particularly it means. So it uh, may have a significance, but we don't know what it is. Uh, let me back up just a little bit and talk about the dream question again, Jeff. Yes. Uh, we got a minute left here. Uh, it occurred, you said you'd be skeptical if somebody told you God gave them a dream. Uh, and I got thinking, that's a good, good idea to be skeptical because if you think about it, uh, almost all the false religions and the cults especially, uh, things like that are started by somebody that claims <laughs> yeah. to have got a dream or a vision from God uh, and, and tells people, here's what you got to do. Uh, why? Well, because God told me. <laughs> and you look back through history and Jim Jones and that affair and uh, Joseph Smith and even Muhammad, all of them, I got this directly from God. Uh, sometimes they enhance it a little bit. Uh, Gabriel came and told me, yes. you know, or somebody came and gave me these golden tablets and interpreted them for me and, and all that. But uh, uh, that's how most false teaching and false religions start is some guy says, God's talking directly to me. Yeah. So. I didn't think about that historically, yeah. but if you look at the fruit of people who claim to have dreams, yeah. uh, most of the time that doesn't end well. So. Yeah. And the, the check on that is, to, is it in here or not? That's right. Uh, you know, if it's not in there, okay, if God told you that, fine, but 
<laughs> I don't have to follow it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, yeah, beware of dreams that change the Word of God. <laughs> All right, well, let's get our trivia question answered today. What New Testament book is actually part two of the Gospel of Luke? Well, that's the book of Acts, and if you read the first verse of Acts, uh, Luke tells you that. He's writing to Theophilus. And he says, I'm, uh, I told you the start of the story, now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. So uh, Luke and uh, Acts are parts one and two. We're glad you've been with us today. We hope you come back next week for more questions. Until then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.